Hey, it's Pastor Sam. I want to thank you for tuning into this week's sermon, which is from our current sermon series called Our Aim, as we look at the mission of Sacred City Church, which is to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. You can find more information about Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois at scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 4, 12 through 25. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he noticed two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem to Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Um, We've been in a series called Our Aim. Uh, We are looking at, we're re-examining the mission of Sacred City Church, which is to make disciples plant churches uh, and renew the city. And we are, we're really just caught up on that first piece of making disciples. We started out a couple weeks ago saying, hey, what, what is a disciple? Um, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And, and the conclusion that we've come to, a, a disciple of Jesus is somebody who knows God and worships him rightly. And then we started asking the question, well, if Jesus tells us to go and make disciples in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, how exactly are we supposed to do that? And we've got this saying, it's up on the wall in the lobby, it says, the only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. That's the way that Jesus made disciples, that's the way that we make disciples here. In fact, it's, it's in this, it's in community, and as this community is on mission, where God goes us, grows us deeper and deeper into the gospel. So last week we took a look, a look at the, the community piece, that, that if we want to experience gospel growth, we have to be in community. And today we're talking about, we have to be in a community that is on mission. 
In my five and a half years of preaching uh, here at Sacred City Moline on gospel, community, and mission, we come back to this time and time again. I mean, it's, it's part of our DNA as a church. I've noticed a trend. I noticed that we get really excited about the gospel, right? The good news, it is good news. That's what gospel means. It's, it's the good news of Jesus' saving work through his life, death, and resurrection that he saves sinners like you and me. And so we celebrate the fact that God has brought us from death to life. And it's amazing. We, we're good at, at that. We get excited about the gospel, rightly so. And then we see how the gospel creates community. We go to places like Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, where we spent some time last week, and we read passages like this, and we become enchanted with the kind of community that the gospel creates. It's beautiful, it's compelling, it's inviting. There's something thrilling about it. And so we find ourselves, and we get a little taste of that here at Sacred City, we find ourselves excited about that as well. But as soon as we start talking about mission, I sense that the excitement kind of starts to simmer down a little bit. We, we have this sense of, most of us, have this sense of hesitancy when it comes to mission. Um, I, you know, it's, it's like, I'm not sure if I know what I'm doing, if, I, if, if, if I'm doing the right things. Um, so, so there might be a little bit of fear laced into that. Um, if I go to share the gospel with my coworker, am I gonna say the right thing? So, the, so there's a little bit of, of hesitancy and fear. And for some people, there's shame involved in this. Because if you've been around, if, if you're a Christian, you, you should understand that Jesus calls you to send you, send you back out. And so if you're not doing this missionary work, then there can be this shame of, man, I'm not doing it. I'm dropping the ball. And when we get in that spot, what happens is we either tune out and just sort of like, well, this, this isn't for me. I'm never gonna be that kind of a Christian. So we just kind of drift off while I'm preaching these sermons. Or we get defensive. Well, I, I, I do this, I do that. You know, and we started making some, some excuses of why we do or why we don't do this. And, and what happens when we have this sort of uh, unbalance here between gospel and community mission is it creates a culture within a church that, that we're really strong in the areas of gospel and community but we're lacking in the arena of mission. And what tends to happen is we, we become complacent to some degree. I mean, we, we love hearing the gospel, we love the kind of community and we give ourselves to that, but, but what then happens is we become focused on, on just ourselves. Our prayer life gets stunted. We're lacking in prayer for those people who do not yet know Jesus. We're not inviting people into our homes, into our missional communities, into the church, into the spaces where they can brush shoulders with, with people who are following Jesus. It brings us to a season where we're in a baptismal drought. And what happens when we put our eyes on ourselves and get sort of insular focused our eyes are taken off the mission. We miss the big picture of what God is trying to do in this world. And the scary part of this whole thing is that if the mission of a church stalls out, it's only a matter of time before the church itself will stall out. 
Now, as I sort of sense this and have been praying and asking God to show us, show me and, and, and our, our elder candidates where this church needs to go, where, where we believe that Jesus is calling us to be, um, we, we've come to the rea- realization that this is problematic, that if, if we call ourselves a gospel-centered missional church, if that's, if that's the title, the self-proclaimed title we have on our website of the kind of church that we are, that, that we're in big trouble here. That if we're lacking, if we're not really a missional church, that that's problematic. We either need to change our website to more accurately reflect what we are, or we have to change. And as a Reformed church, I'm convinced that Jesus intends to change us. That he tends to bring us to the word of God and continue reforming us according to his word to bring us into a new era era of gospel fruitfulness as we make disciples in community and on mission. Now, that's not to say that God hasn't done stuff before. It's not to say that there hasn't been mission that's gone on before. We've seen several people come to faith here. But I don't know about you, I have this desire to see more. I, I want to be on, on, on the, the cutting edge of the work that God is doing in the Quad Cities to see more and more people come to know and trust and love their creator and savior. Now for us to grow in this area, it requires some intentionality. We don't accidentally just slip into becoming better missionaries. We have to think like an athlete. An athlete, um, an athlete figures out what their weaknesses are and then works on that to become a more well-rounded athlete. It's like if your football season started up, so I apologize for all those football analogies that are coming down the pike here, but if you're a running back, you're in the NFL now, it's a, it's a pass-heavy league. You, gotta, you can't just run with the ball. You've got to learn how to catch the ball. So if you're not good at catching, you've got to learn those skills. So when an athlete sees their weakness, they get to work on those skills. And so the church ought to be doing this to an even greater degree. That when we see our weaknesses, we lean into those trusting that the Spirit is bringing power and strength and wanting to sanctify us. Because we're not just playing this arbitrary game. It's not the preseason of the NFL like it is right now. What we do as a church carries eternal significance. It matters for the long haul. And so today, I want to bring us into this thing of mission. And I don't want it to feel like this. I'm shaking, shaking my finger at you and saying, hey, we, we got to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. I don't, I don't think that's at all the case. In fact, I'm going to take you through the what, the who, and the why. And I believe the why is going to be a more compelling reason than just do better. And so let's go to the word of God together and examine the word of God. Let the word of God examine us and let the word shape us as God's people. Now, I want to start with the who. Who does mission? I want to start here first because if I don't, there's a good chance you'll check out. Um, Because when people think about missionaries, those who do mission, what we typically think of are people who go overseas to do ministry stuff. We think of the people who, who are sort of uh, commissioned, uh, they pack up their bags, sell out their house, they, they, you know, they do all this stuff, and they, they move to an exotic spot, they set up some sort of, uh, they set up a, a medical clinic or a school, and, and as they're doing that, as they're meeting some really practical needs of this new community, they're telling people about Jesus. Now, as a kid, 
That's what I thought a missionary was. Like th- those are the only kinds of people that do mission. Growing up in the church, we would have like uh, the church sponsored missionary come like once every two years or whatever and get up in front and then we have a mission Sunday and everybody would say thumbs up, we're doing mission. Like we're, we're supporting them. Now in this case, if that's what mission is, if that's what a missionary is, then it's, it's, this missionary work is reserved for a very few people. And, and, and a number of people, a small number of people that are a certain caliber of Christians, right? You get guys like the Apostle Paul or St. Patrick, Hudson Taylor, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. These like A-plus Christians, these all-star pro-level Christians, and so in that way, we, that line of thinking, it's, it's for that small number of people, not for normal Christians like you and me. In fact, the only way normal Christians get to participate with missionary work is if one, you're, you're praying and giving towards that missionary's work, or you load up a van, you go on a short mission trip, which is like really just half vacation, half ministry work, and you take your pals along with you, you go for a, you know, a long weekend, and you come back, a little bit of a mission high for a few weeks, and then it's back to life as normal, right? That, that's kind of like what a normal Christian's participation in missionary work looks like if that's what a missionary is. Now, I'm not saying that any of that is wrong. In fact, I met my wife on a mission trip, and it wasn't anywhere exotic, unless you count Missouri as an exotic spot. Yeah, me neither. And I think that's something that the church ought to continue doing, supporting those people who are going to unreached places, to unreached people group, so that they can bring the light of the gospel to those places. The church ought to get behind that, support it, rally. In fact, that's one of the things that we do with Fishers of Men Ministries. We support church planters, missionaries, going to tribes in Africa to bring the gospel with them. It's not wrong for that, but what is wrong is thinking that normal Christians aren't missionaries too. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, once said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. See, if you're a Christian, it's not a question of if you're a missionary. The question is what you're a missionary of. Because we all have this, this bent. We all have this inclination to promote the things that we love most, right? If you find a restaurant in the Quad Cities, you're going to be a missionary for that. You love it, you're going to tell people about it. Find a new brand of clothing or whatever, you're going to go tell people about it. So as Christians, it shifts for us. We become missionaries for God. And so it's not a question of if you're a missionary of, of God, but are you a faithful one? Are you living to make Jesus known among the people who are around you? Because here's the other thing, that as Jesus calls all Christians to be missionaries, he doesn't say, hey, now you gotta go to Africa and you're gonna go to South America and you're gonna go up to Canada. It's like right where you are, right where you're doing life in real time, I am sending you back into these places to bear my name. Now you might be thinking here, pump the brakes. I, I don't remember signing up for this. I don't remember enlisting myself as a, a missionary. I, you know, I don't even know if I can rise up to that kind of a, a title. Well, to be frank with you, you didn't sign up for it. Jesus did that for you. Jesus signed you up. 
You were called to the mission field the moment Jesus called you to follow him. That's the moment that Jesus made you a missionary. In fact, we see this with his first disciples in Matthew chapter four, uh, verse 18 and 20. He comes uh, and he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He He tells these guys, Andrew and Simon, fishing. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Just like that, just as Jesus says, follow me, the very next thing, I'll make you fishers of men. To be a fisher of men is another way of saying you're a missionary. That Jesus hooks you with the gospel. Jesus calls you into his family and then he sends you back out with the very same gospel and other people get hooked on to Jesus as well. Tim Keller says God is like a spiritual tornado. He never brings us in without the intent of sending us back out. And this is embedded deep within us. This is, this is a central piece of our gospel identity. It's who you are. In 2 Corinthians 5, the apostle Paul is talking about the, the power of the gospel to take you from death to light, to take you from, from an, an old self to a new self. He says that in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And then moving on, just a couple of verses from there, he says, he, he, he ties this piece in. He says, part of your new identity, part of being a new creation is that you are now an ambassador for Christ, that God is making his appeal through you. See, that, that isn't a level of Christianity or you know, some sort of Christian hierarchy that, that you move up, up your way the ladder to. It's something that happens right on. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why people who are new to the faith are such great missionaries. So you don't have to teach somebody who just encountered the gospel like, oh, yeah, now you need to go tell your friends about Jesus. There's just natural impulse that they're going to do it. It's like we, we who've been around the church for a while have something to learn from these new believers. See, if you're a Christian, then you're a missionary. Boom, on the spot. It's embedded It's embedded into your gospel DNA. So much so that when a mission, when when Christian thinks about mission, it's not necessarily what you do, it's who you are. It's an identity. And this this is because this missional DNA comes down to us from our heavenly father who's adopted us into his family. See, we've talked about this a couple weeks ago, that God himself is a missional God. God has a mission to be known and worshiped rightly. And to move that mission forward, Jesus was sent into this world. Jesus put on flesh so that when we looked at Jesus, we would see what our heavenly father was like. When we read the gospel accounts of what Jesus did and and what he said, it's as if the father is acting and speaking to us through him. And just as the heavenly father sent Jesus into the world who put on flesh and dwelt among us, then Jesus, as he's ascended, he sends the Holy Spirit to come and fill his church, to fill his people in power. And as the spirit is sent, the spirit is at work in the church. The church is now the sent ones of God. See, this this missional stuff, it's not an auxiliary piece of our gospel identity. It's right at the heart of it. And to live into your gospel identity, 
To, to understand what Jesus has done for you means that you live into this piece of being a missionary. It means you're, you're, you're in the family business now. So that's the who. Who's involved in missionary work? It's Christian, it's you. God's called you to be a missionary. Now, what is this family business all about? What, what exactly are we doing? What is the scope of this missional work that we do? To put it simply, it's this. It, it's to advance the kingdom of heaven across all the earth. God's mission is to bring heaven down to earth. That's why Jesus in Matthew 6, he teaches us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is not a someday fingers crossed, maybe this will come down the line. This is like a real time, slow, incremental advancement of the, the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus just bursts in the door here when he arrives on the scene. In fact, he makes this purpose statement in Luke 4, which is, is a parallel passage um, to the, this passage that we're looking at in Matthew. And, and he makes this purpose statement of, of the reason why, he, why he's here. He says in Luke 4, 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. So he's in one spot. He's like, I gotta take it everywhere. For I was sent for this purpose. Jesus tells us, he discloses to us the reason why he put on flesh. It's to advance the kingdom of heaven. And as we study Jesus's life, we even jump back into Matthew chapter four, we see that Jesus's work, this mission work is a twofold thing. There are two big elements to the advancement of the kingdom of heaven. The first is to proclaim about the kingdom of heaven. And the second is to demonstrate the kingdom of heaven. Right, let, me, let me take you to Matthew chapter four, verse 23 to show you. Matthew frames it up for us. And he went, that's Jesus, throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and what? Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus makes this proclamation of, even if you go back up a little bit, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's telling people with real words about the kingdom of heaven and how to get in on it. But then he goes on and says, he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And in this, his fame spread throughout all of the land. And great crowds followed him. Now here we see Jesus proclaiming and demonstrating. He, he's, he's, it's like show and tell. It's show and tell about the kingdom of heaven. I'm gonna tell you about it. Actually, here, let me show you what it's like and, and what happens. Darkness flees. Now when we think about the kingdom of heaven, I think there, there just, there's just a lot of misconceptions floating around. What are we talking about? What is the kingdom of heaven? So you got floating around on clouds playing harps and that's what it is forever and chocolate fountains or I don't know. I don't know what people think of. It's crazy stuff. And what typically people think of is like heaven is just this like fantasy land. We're not quite sure if it's real. It, it's more like, um, it's more idyllic, I guess, when we think about heaven, this sort of fantasy land in the sky and, and God's just gonna sort of 
beam us up to it at some point. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is. But that, that can't be what the kingdom of heaven is because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 17, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what this means is that Jesus, when he came to earth, he brought heaven with him. Now, it's hard to explain what the kingdom of heaven is, but Jesus, throughout his ministry and his teaching, he drops these breadcrumbs about, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, well, the kingdom of heaven is, is, is like yeast. It's like yeast that you drop it in a bowl of flour and it's gonna cause the dough to rise. It permeates every bit of that. It changes the whole structure. So the kingdom of heaven is, is expanding incrementally like a mustard seed that turns into a monster tree. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now it's hard to pinpoint the coordinates of heaven here on earth. It's not a specific location. Rather, the kingdom of heaven is wherever people submit to Jesus as the one true king. The kingdom of heaven is wherever Jesus is revered and honored as Lord. And where Jesus is honored and revered as Lord, darkness flees. In fact, that's, that's one of the, the, the things that, that Matthew uh, says to us here as he quotes Isaiah 9 in verse 16. He says, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. What, what is that? That's Jesus showing up and pushing back the darkness. When Jesus shows up, the chaos, the dysfunction of the world suddenly starts to shift back into place. It, things that were, were falling out now become structured and reordered. It's either, it's either Christ and his order or it's chaos. When Jesus shows up, things that are broken are mended. Things are, that are sick are, are healed. That's what we saw with these miracles. It's all pointing to this future reality, this thing that's taking place right here in our midst. It's where sin is rendered powerless because the Holy Spirit is shown to be so much stronger. The kingdom of heaven is where death gives way to new life, resurrection life. See, this is what Jesus is demonstrating. That's, that's he's showing us what the kingdom of heaven is, is like as he came and dwelt among us, the healing, the power. And what he's showing us here is that he is both sovereign and good. See, the kingdom of God is not this scary thing where, where Jesus might become a tyrant and start, you know, get fed up with us and start to squash us under his thumb. The kingdom of heaven means that, that we are living under the reality that we have a good king who rules for his glory and for our good, and those two things are not at odds with one another. He rules with justice and love and righteousness. And what happens is that when we live under Jesus' rule and reign, that, that that stuff sort of channels through us, that, that God's grace that comes to us through the person and work of Jesus then spills out of us into the world. The love that God has for us goes out of us into the world. The, the, the righteousness that, that Jesus gifts us with, that it, it, we live out of that. And, and in this, we, 
we get roped into the same kind of demonstration of the kingdom that Jesus was doing. Now, I, I can't do miracles. I haven't done any yet. Maybe someday the spirit will, I don't know, we'll see. But, but everyone is called into this work that Jesus is doing to restore all things back to God. Not, not just evangelism, not just seeing converts made, but all things brought back to God. Now, this starts with, with relational restoration. We talked about this a little bit last week. With the family of God, the dividing wall of hostility is toppled down. People are restored to one another through the work of Jesus. That we become united in love. We become a a new family through the work of Jesus. And as, as family, we live like family. We intend to bless and serve one another. We make meals for one another when we have new babies or, or when somebody's sick. We watch each other's kids so, so mom and dad who haven't been on a date night in six weeks can go off and have a date night and reconnect. We pray for each other. We, we cry with one another when we're going through grief. We laugh with one another and celebrate the joys of life. We meet practical needs, whether it's fixing cars or fixing houses. We, we bless one another with words of encouragement and gospel affirmation. And in this, the community itself demonstrates what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a little window that the watching world can kind of peek through and say, oh, huh, I guess it's more than little angels on harp, you know, clouds with harps. The kingdom of heaven looks like that. And as the church is, is, is doing this, as, as the church is loving one another, building one another up in love, this starts to go beyond the walls, the, the metaphorical walls of the church, because the church isn't a place, it's a people. It goes beyond the family of the church into the world. It reaches not yet believers, that they would get a taste of the love of God. Now, it's in this that Francis Schaeffer says the church is the final apologetic. The church is the defense of the gospel in this regard. It shows people, it's an argument for the power of God and what the kingdom of heaven is like is because we, we have received this undeserved love and kindness from God. We've received it and we push it back out. Now, what we found is that people are into that. People like to be loved. People like to be cared for. And in fact, people, you know, once they get over their, their selfish preoccupations, they find that there's actually, well, just as, as, as Jesus says, better to give than to receive. They, they find it to be a tremendous blessing to be able to love other people. And people are drawn into that. There's an appeal. It's like, it's like the church, like they get a look into the, the, the storefront window and say, I want that. See, the kingdom of heaven is not something that we have to work hard you know, with some sort of sales pitch to, to, to strong arm people into buying into it. It's something that we yearn for. It's something that we want. And that's the reason why we see in verse 24 that Jesus' fame spreads throughout all of the land. And there's these great crowds that are following. It speaks to this deep longing that we have. It's, it's this homesickness. Because the kingdom of heaven, it's like in the Garden of Eden, the, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this earth overlapped. Like it, it was like both. 
And when sin happened, Adam and Eve were taken out of the kingdom of out of Eden. They, they missed that space. The home had been taken away from them. And so we feel that same thing deep in our hearts, that we have this longing for the kingdom, this longing for home. And God graciously meets that longing by bringing the kingdom back to us, bringing us into the kingdom. And, and, and the kind of kingdom, the caliber of this kingdom that Jesus brings is far greater than the kingdom of the world. So much better if you have the eyes to see. And when you see the, king, the, the two offers that are made, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of the world, which one do you want to be part of? It's an easy choice. Because we can see that there's something wrong with the kingdom of the world. We can see that there's lots of brokenness, lots of sadness, lots of violence, lots of just destruction. And, and the kingdom of heaven is antithetical to that. So we sense that something's broken in the kingdom of the world. So we, no kidding, we jump into the kingdom of heaven and we gravitate towards that. We want to get in on that. But here's the deal. If we were extracted out of the kingdom of the world and just dropped into the kingdom of heaven, we would hate it. We'd hate it. We'd mess it up for sure. But there'd also be something that we would not really like about it because center to this kingdom is, is a displacement of myself as Lord of my life and the replacement of Jesus who is Lord of all. It's not just that the world is broken, that we are broken to the core. This is this grind that we have with the kingdom of heaven. Now, in order for us to actually like step into the kingdom, in order for us to like love the kingdom and, and want the kingdom, something has to happen in, inside of us, us, which is why Jesus doesn't say, hey, pack your bags, I'm moving you to the kingdom of heaven. What he says is, repent. There's a change of heart that needs to take place, a turning away of sin and, and turning toward Jesus. Now, Here's where we see another layer of the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Not, not only does Jesus announce that the kingdom of heaven is here, but he's showing us that here's how you get into the kingdom of heaven. Here's, here's how you step in to this new kingdom. And it's not by any merit of our own. It's not by pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, by, by meeting this sort of checklist of being just good enough that God will give us the, the gold star and pass us through the pearly gates. The only way that we can get into the kingdom of heaven is if we have a righteousness that doesn't come from within ourselves, but is applied to us through the person and work of Jesus. That he lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserve to die. And by that, he gifts us his own credentials so that we could get through. And in this, Jesus makes us fit for the kingdom of heaven. Now, because this whole thing happens by grace, it's, it's, it's not of, of your own doing, it's a gift from God, um, this means that anybody can get in on it. Anybody can get on it. Anybody who's willing to, to leave behind the old way, to leave behind the kingdom of darkness and step into the kingdom of light, the door is open, the invitation stands.
Now this is why, this is why we are sent into the world as ambassadors for Christ, to let people know Jesus is there. His arms are open. So we don't just demonstrate what the kingdom is like by living in community with another and, and, and being a, a certain kind of people, but we are also people who proclaim the good news of the gospel. We, we tell people that we're rubbing shoulders with that God loves them, that he gave his only son for them, to, to bring them to a new place, to elevate them from their station. And when we've received this, what happens when we've received the gospel, what happens is it loads our lips with the good news of great hope and gladness in Jesus Christ. So we speak the good news of the gospel. Now, Isaiah 9, this passage that's quoted here, um, verse 1, I, I, was, I went back there and I was looking at it. It's so interesting. Um, when, when Jesus is saying the good news of the gospel, like, um, this good news of hope, this good news of, of gladness that he has for his people, Isaiah 9.1 says, when this light comes, the gloom will be no more. Now, when you look at our world, it's like a giant storm cloud that just settled over. Just sort of gloomy, dark, despairing, not a lot of hope. See, what the gospel does, it meets us in that and actually gives us gladness and hope. When the gospel comes, when the light penetrates the darkness, joy comes in. It lifts the gloom. Now, this right here is the why of mission. This is, this is what joy is, what propels mission. See, our, our, our call to be missionaries, this, this work that we have to do is not done out of pure duty. It's not because Jesus said so out of obligation. Well, Jesus did say so, so there is that element of obedience. But, but here's the deal. Grumpy missionaries are typically ineffective. If you have this mentality, well, I'll, I gotta go tell my neighbor about Jesus because Jesus said so. You're kicking rocks all the way over there because you're upset. It doesn't typically, I mean, unless you're Jonah, it typically doesn't go very well. See, when, when we experience the gospel, there's this natural progression and, and, and the stream opens up into a big ocean of joy. We see this actually with King David. In Psalm 51, David just got caught out and caught up in a sin. Um, he, he, you know, had an affair with Bathsheba. And, and um, anyway, he, he gets confronted in his sin and he gets cut to the heart. And actually, let me just jump there real quick. I'll, I'll, he says, I, I, I know my transgressions, my sins before me. I've done what's evil in your sight. Um, I, I see my iniquity. Uh, I just, he, he's like speaking to this fact of like, things aren't going good for me. And he calls out, purge me with his up, I'll be clean. Wash me. He's crying out for the forgiveness that only God can give, that can only come. And he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. See, that's what, that's what the gospel does. 
The gospel forgives us of our sins, even the sins that we make when we're not living into the gospel identity that God has given us. And the gospel washes us and cleanses us and creates in us a new heart. And because of the gospel, we can have certainty that God does not remove his Holy Spirit from us. That the Spirit's been given and stays with us, dwelling in us. But we ask God to renew in us the presence, the power of the Spirit, so that we can live according to his ways. And so then the next thing that David goes into is, restore to me the joy of your salvation. David gets it. It's not restore to me the duty of my salvation. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then guess what happened? Then I will teach transgressors your way. Then I'm gonna go out and tell the world is what he says. See, David got it even before Jesus came in the flesh. How much more should we rejoice now that we can see Jesus? See, this good news that God brings to us through the personal work of Jesus causes joy and celebration. And when you are celebrating, you're naturally going to tell other people. It's going to be a natural overflow of the heart. And let me, I read, uh, I've got this quote. It's a little bit long, but I'm gonna put it up behind me. Leslie Newbegin hits this nail on the head, guys. He sees this, he gets this. He, he tries to bring us in um, to mission from a different angle of this dutiful obedience to the approach of joy. He says, there has been a long tradition which sees the mission of the church primarily as obedience to a command. It has been customary to speak of the missionary mandate. This way of putting the matter is certainly not without justification. And yet, it seems to me, it misses the point. It tends to make mission a burden rather than a joy, to make it part of the law rather than part of the gospel. If one looks to the New Testament evidence, one gets another impression. Mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? The mission of the church in the pages of the New Testament is more like a fallout, which is not lethal, but life-giving. One searches in vain throughout the letters of St. Paul to find any suggestion that he always, or anywhere, lays it at the conscience of his reader that they ought to be active in mission. For himself, it is inconceivable that he should be silent. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9, 16. But nowhere do we find him telling his readers that they have the duty to do so. At the heart of mission is thanksgiving and praise. When it is true to its nature, nature, it is so to the end. Mission is an acted out doxology. That is, its deepest secret. Its purpose is that God may be glorified. See, mission isn't this obligation. Mission is is the, the nuclear fallout of joy that brings life everywhere we go. Mission is worship, man. If if and if if you're here thinking this morning, I'm, I'm just this is something where I'm just missing the mark. I'm not a good missionary. 
Well, then the way you grow is by fixing your eyes on Jesus. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Show me how big of a deal it is that Jesus came and died in my place, changed my heart to get swept up in this beautiful story of redemption. And by coming back to the gospel day in and day out, we will be changed. Joy, it's just, we get saturated in joy. And in this, we get recharged. In this, the battery pack that fuels mission gets recharged so that we can go out and be the missionaries God has called us to be. What does that look like? Well, I think it starts with praying like a missionary. Before you go tell people about Jesus, you need to go talk to Jesus about people. Ask Jesus to do the things that only he can do. Only Jesus can change a sinner's heart. Pray, plead, just as Jesus is right now interceding for you, so we should be interceding for our family members, our friends, our coworkers, the people that we're doing life with, that they would come to know and love the real Jesus. We pray like a missionary. As we pray like a missionary, we get like really generous with our invitations because uh, they're free. It's free to invite people to things. Do you know that? We, we invite people to come sit up at the table. It's gonna cost you like $4 more a plate, all right? So you're gonna invite people to come sit at the table with you for dinner. Get to know their story. You're gonna invite people to come, come to missional community. See how this community loves one another and lives life together to the glory of Jesus. Invite people to come to church. Hear the gospel preached. We become an inviting community. And as we get to know people, as we hear their stories, as we hear what they're struggling with, we speak life into people. We bring the good news of the gospel to bear on their lives. Now, now we proclaim it, but there's also this aspect of, of demonstrating, right? We're looking for ways to, to practically bless and to serve, to show them what Jesus is like. See, the, the, the whole thing that motivates this is it's joy. It's joy. You, you can't do it in a white-knuckled kind of a way. It has to be joy. Now, I, I will say this. Being a missionary is challenging. It's not, it's not easy work. I'm trying like, hey, you're called into this, and it's going to be great. And actually, well, it's kind of tough. It is. And we see that right away because you go back to Matthew 4. The whole thing, that whole passage opens up with John the Baptist, who's, who's proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, getting arrested. Right? There's going to be resistance as we go to share the good news about Jesus. Pastor Doug Logan, I heard him say it like this. He says, listen, being a fisher of men is hard because fish don't want to get caught. Right? To, to, be, to give ourselves to this work is hard. But not doing it is not an option. Not, not if we have the joy of salvation kindled in our heart. See, Paul, uh, he, he, in Galatians 6, he, he, just, he charges us to not grow weary in doing good, for in due time there will be harvest. As a ch church, we might go through seasons where we're not seeing a lot of people come to faith. We're not seeing that, but we don't let up off the gas pedal. 
to, to press on through these hard seasons requires an energy. It requires an intentionality that we can't muster up in ourselves, which is why discipleship happens when you're on mission. Uh, when you're on mission, you're brought to the end of yourself. You, you are forced to become reliant upon the power and the energy of the Holy Spirit for boldness, for faithfulness. And so it's through this missional activity that we grow as disciples. That's how more disciples of Jesus are made. Now it's through this work of making disciples in community and on mission that God is glorified. And it's where we learn to enjoy God. So my prayer for this church, like my prayer is that we would become better missionaries, but the prayer above that prayer is that we would be a more joyful church. A church that just can't shake the joy of our salvation. That, that we just can't, we can't move past it. That we, everybody that we come in contact with, we, we just have a heart to share with them the good news. And I'm trusting that as we come to the word of God together week in and week out, our mission communities, as we, we, it, we feast to flourish in our own time, that God will transform us and shape us into this kind of people. That he will inject us with joy for his glory and for our good. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you that you are in fact the missional God, that, that we would not be here unless you had come chasing after us and sending your son Jesus to, to take on flesh. We thank you, Lord, for inviting us into your joy, that we would be without hope and lost in the world without you, but you have made a way for us. You have brought us and you've made us fit for the kingdom of heaven through the work of Jesus Christ. And so we wanna thank you, Lord, we ask that you would flood our hearts with joy and worship, that this mission piece would just be an expression of this, this lived out doxology that Newbegin talks about. Would you make us a worshipful church, not just here on Sunday mornings, but as we go, as we hear the command to, to go, as you go, make disciples. And would you, God, be gracious to allow us to see more people come to know you, more people come to love you, more people come to realize that they have a great savior in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we, we pray that you would fuel us for this mission. The Lord's table is a means of grace in which you channel yourself, your, your, your grace, your energy from, from the elements into our hearts and our souls that we would be faithful to you. So would you, Lord, do a good work in creating faithfulness in us that we would, when we come back next week, we have stories to share of how we've shared the gospel, of how, we, how we've seen you move, how we've seen more people come to brush up with the kingdom of heaven. Help us to be an outpost for the kingdom. God, would it be so? For your glory and our good, we pray in Jesus' name.